Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, roads and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. What struck me after sort of one or two years working with what I would describe as some of the most talented people I've ever met in my life, the thing that was not holding them back was learning new things. It was the inability to unlearn the behaviors that had made them successful in the past, but were now limiting their success. The world was changing, technology was changing, customer demand is changing, and they were still stuck using the comfortable behaviors that had worked for them to help the company grow to that point. And that was sort of the real aha moment for me is actually what we need to do here is not just learn new things, but we have to unlearn the behaviors that are holding us back. This is Barry O'Reilly, co-founder of Nobody Studios, business advisor, keynote speaker, and author of Unlearn and Lean Enterprise. Nobody Studios are here to build companies faster and better to shape a better future for people, communities, and the planet. And they have some very clear and ambitious mission they want to achieve. They want to launch 100 new companies in the next five years. And in this amazing conversation, Barry shares some of the work they're doing through the Accelerator program and also what he does with company leaders through his own executive programs and advisory role. He shares great practical ways of start changing your thinking and reach the next level of results and impact. And for that, we take a deep dive into his book on Learn and why it's so relevant to apply this thinking to your organization and how you actually can get started very easily by using small experiments instead of launching huge change programs and therefore avoid all the pain you normally would go through. We also visit how the winners of tomorrow look and how they operate as an organization. They do not only make great business results, but also make a massive impact on the world. And they do that by being more human, agile, and give the people the best digital tools to get the job done. Before you tune in, please sign up for our weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. I can promise you, you're in for a great conversation today. Barry's book alone has been a game changer for me when it comes to my business and leadership thinking, just like Tim Collins' book, Good to Great, was a game changer for me about 20 years ago. Now, stop what you're doing, grab drink, your notebook. There's some great learnings in here on how to unlearn what no longer serves you or your team. Now, stop what you're doing, grab drink, your notebook. There's some great learnings in here on how to unlearn what no longer serves you or your team. Enjoy. I'm super excited about today we will be talking about letting go of past success to achieve extraordinary results. And and this is important 
podcast as an industry, we have seen a lot of uncertainty and there's more to come. We all talk about it. And there's also a need for a different playbook. We all talk about it. But do we actually reinvent the playbook as we go? And uh, we need to unlearn as an industry actually to not just survive, but actually thrive in the new paradigm, whatever we call that, the new now, the uh, the future, there's something we need to unpick. And to help me with that, I have a great guest for you today. I would like you to welcome Barry to the, to the show. Uh, he is joining us from uh, the US today. So welcome to the show, Barry. Great to be here, Michael. Thanks for having me. It's an absolutely honor. And as I was starting, you know, I got your book, um, Unlearn was the first book I got about two months ago from a, a, a shared uh, a friend of ours, uh, Connor. And he said, Michael, that this book will blow your mind. And I think we should get him on the show. Uh, I read the book and it was a bit like when I started reading Good to Great way back. I got from my professor at the business school when I was writing my dissertation said, this is your dissertation. And that blew my mind and gave me some new thinking. I actually got something I already had in my head in context and the same unlearned it. And it was actually, I see it as an extension of um, a good to great. It gives you the tools to build this great business and actually a flow of all the areas of business you need to think about. And good to great businesses had a great ability to unlearn in very uncertain environments. And even in very small margin businesses, they tried because they had the ability to unlearn and innovate. So before we, we jump in to talk a bit more about unlearn, which I'm quite sure everybody now is quite interested to hear about, can you just give us like, you know, your elevator pitch, Barry, about, you know, what is it that you're up to and what you're trying to change here in the world? Yeah, well, currently I am the co-founder and chief incubation officer at Nobody Studios. Uh, Nobody Studios is a venture studio uh, with the ambition to launch 100 uh, compelling companies over the next five years. Um, often when people hear about venture studios, they're uh, probably aware they maybe not have heard before. They may have heard of venture capital. They may have heard of incubators or accelerators. Um, so uh, typically with an incubator or an accelerator, you know, you have a, a couple of people who might have some ideas, but and uh, they find these accelerators that they'll give up a little bit of equity in the company to get some coaching and mentoring to try and scale. Um, where VCs, you, you tend to have a business that you're already growing um, and you're looking for uh, capital or funding to help you sort of scale the business. What's sort of the differentiator for a venture studio is you bring all of those worlds together. So we have a bunch of ideas that we want to create. We bring teams together and we have our own uh, equity or capital where we are able to fund our own businesses as we create them. Um, so the mission is to de-risk pre-seed stage companies. And success for us is sort of uh, going after these ideas, standing up these early stage businesses, at which point we sort of we work with venture capitals companies where we sort of have de-risked uh, businesses that are on a high growth trajectory and they're ready for significant investment. They've figured out their product market fit. They're, they're a growing business, uh, you know, typically probably have 100,000 in monthly recurring revenue. And that's the time to, for VCs to pour more capital in to help scale the business. Um, and that's sort of kind of unique of what we're doing. Um, probably what's even more differentiated is, is how crowd focused we are. So we talk about using crowd-infused innovation to fuel the business. 
Um, we have nobodies all over the world, people who are contribute their help us with ideation, contribute to the companies, um, help us actually build these businesses. And people are doing like three, four hours a week, contributing their time, energy, uh, helping to build, helping to give feedback, helping to turn up the noise in the companies uh, when we launch. And then what's a real first is we're going to be the first venture studio to ever offer uh, equity crowdfunding to the crowd. So anyone who ever wanted to be able to invest in early stage companies, typically you have to be an accredited investor, have a net worth of over a million dollars before you're allowed to invest in private companies. But um, we're going to do crowdfunding where anyone with a couple of hundred bucks will be able to actually buy not a piece of one company, but a piece of the studio, which means they'll see upside from every uh, successful company we create ever. So not only is this uh, giving people our access to all for people for the opportunity to contribute to these businesses, but actually own an equity stake in them and access to a wealth creation vehicle that's typically only uh, made available to the uber rich. So we're really trying to lower that bar of entry, uh, make it accessible for all. And um, yeah, if you're interested, go to nobodystudios.com and sign up so you get notified when the crowdfunding event happens in the next couple of weeks. That that's super super interesting. Also, lower the bar for for people actually to get on the the wealth ladder in a way because that's a in the new world you're actually challenging the investment as well. So also you're an author. You've written you know two books. You're co-author on one and 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 and, yeah, and you're the main author of Unlearn. Um, tell tell me a bit about how did you actually get to wanted to write the book on learn and i guess you you were on a journey and you observed something by great companies yeah no it is and uh, it was actually by, by great people as well you know so when i wrote lean enterprise that was part of eric reese's uh, lean series eric popularized uh, the lean startup movement and a lot of bit like larger scale businesses were like, well, we're not startups. So how do we sort of adopt this sort of experimentation product development approach? Uh, so myself, Jez Humble and Joanne Molesky wrote Lean Enterprise. And that that was that book exploded. And the next thing I was like sitting in meeting rooms with executive teams from Fortune 500 companies or scaling startups here in San Francisco. And they were all asking us, well, how do we create this culture of experimentation, learning, new product development? And you know, what struck me after sort of one or two years working with what I would describe as some of the most talented people I've ever met in my life is that while, well, the thing that was not holding them back was learning new things. It was the inability to unlearn the behaviors that had made them successful in the past, but were now limiting their success. So they had got stuck and wedded to mindsets and behaviors that made them successful at a certain moment or time frame. And the world was changing, technology was changing, customer demand is changing. And they were still stuck using the comfortable behaviors that had worked for them to help the company grow to that point or lead in that point. Um, and that was sort of the real aha moment for me is actually what we need to do here is not just learn new things, but we have to unlearn the behaviors that are holding us back, the things that have made us successful in the past, but now limit our success. And that was really the breakthrough moment for me is, you know, I, I was thinking um, as I was teaching these people how to experiment with their product features, right? So just like a product has features, you need to sort of constantly innovate the features of your product for it to stay relevant in its market. Humans have behavior. 
and mindset. So you've got to be constantly innovating your behavior and mindset to meet the market. Um, so the, the systems were very similar and much the same. It was just applying the same principles to personal sort of adaptation as we do to uh, product iteration. And that was really what inspired me to write the book. And yeah, luckily enough, people like yourself have picked it up and enjoy it. And it's really, really uh, gratifying to hear you even talk about it in parody with uh, Good to Great, which is for me, one of the greatest books probably ever written in management. So thank you uh, for that as well. Uh, you did the work, so thank you to you, um, Barry. I, I think when when you you use you, it's very clear when you read the book. Uh, it ties back to that thing you say all the time. You need to leave old behaviors and mindsets behind, and actually take you know, of course, take the best learnings from them, the knowledge and the experience. You can't neglect that, but actually, you need as a leader always to start with yourself. Why is it so important that we as leaders start with ourselves and not you talked about looking at the product or the business model, but actually we look at take a look at ourselves as we want to move our organization into the future? Yeah, well, I think um, I always think one of the most important parts for any leader is to role model the behaviors that you want to see others exhibit in the company. Um, because typically, you know, whatever the leader or the CEO does their behaviors are sort of this proxy for what successful people do in the company, right? So if you have bad behaviors um, or legacy behaviors, um, that's what everyone else is going to sort of mimic, right? Or they're certainly not going to try if they don't see you changing your behavior based on feedback or the world changing, you know, why will they? You know, and there's so many great examples. Like one of my favorite ones is a, a Christian Metzer, who's the CIO of Volkswagen Financial Services. And um, he has this notion that he calls culture hacks, which are these very sort of small shifts in uh, behavior, but have high visibility across the organization to help him you know, role model what he wants others to do and sort of challenge himself. You know, and one of the team or a lot of people would sort of joke, well, as a CIO, like, what do you do? You just sort of sit in meetings all day. You don't actually have to do any work. So um, Christian found that sort of going, OK, well, why don't I let someone be CIO for the day? Someone can do my job for the day and see what it's like to be me. So we held a competition and um, let anyone apply for his job for the day. And uh, an engineer who'd been in the company for two years sort of won the competition. He's pulled out of a hat or whatever. Um, I, I don't even think he owned a suit. Ne never mind his shirt. Good, <laughs> good old engineer. And um, yeah, he sort of like went around the company for the day and took all of Christian's meetings. And Christian sat in the back of the room and just observed you know, how the teams dealt with the situation with this, you know, two-year-old engineer sort of trying to work through budgeting problems or systems. And actually halfway through the, the day, they had an outage on one of their key systems. Um, and Christian still persisted with the two-year engineer to like be the CIO to see how the team could handle and respond to it, you know? So it's sort of stories like that for me that are like super inspiring. And I did a podcast with him too, as well on the unlearn podcast, folks can uh, look that one up and, you know, it's just great sort of um, leadership for me is like putting yourself out there, making yourself vulnerable, showing you're listening to feedback, showing you're willing to have humility. Um, and it's just like great breakthroughs for the teams, I think to get there and, uh, yeah, so that's the kind of stuff that really inspires me in is in great leadership. And I think many people now, you know, like that's 
that's what they're looking for. That's what matters to them. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's really powerful when you see it. You mentioned a CIO here. Um, one of my questions to you was, well, as a CEO, what is your role when it comes to this paradigm of unlearn? Because you position in the book that this is a, a minimum for surviving and thriving in the new world is that you start to un- unlearn and move faster and think faster and learn faster. But what is the role of a CEO in all this? Is it actually, as you gave an example of Christian here, is that the kind of role a CEO should have in the future? Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, like the the archetype of this sort of um, CEO founder who sort of knows it all, has all the answers, tells people what to do. Like that archetype is dead, right? Actually, most people don't even want to work in those companies. They want to go to places where they feel like they're part of a community, where they are given context to let their creativity sort of shine. And the sort of companies where there's sort of a a command and control uh, authoritative figure that tells you what to do and when it needs to be done, is sort of less interesting, uh, I think, for people now. It's, uh, It's sort of a hark back to the old ages, really. So I think the leaders of the really interesting uh, progressive companies, I say, are much more open in terms of how they lead, uh, sharing vulnerabilities, mistakes they've made. I think another example I share in the book is uh, the CEO of one of the largest banks here in America who I was working with. And, you know, uh, they were doing the equivalent of a digital transformation initiative. They called it uh, um, increasing business agility. That's what they defined it as. And you know, when he was asking all these people to sort of go through this transformation, and um, one of the first things we did with, with, with him was sort of working on a monthly cadence with the leadership team. And at the end of the first month together, we did this thing called a retrospective. It's very familiar to agile uh, people where you sort of sit down and reflect on what, what, what was working for the month, what went well, not so well. You know, and one of his sort of... Um, understandings is he went up and he wrote this post-it note and stuck it on the board and it said agility is hard and um people were sort of taken aback by this and going wow like why 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 does he think that's hard you know and the reflection he had was that uh, the company had been very output focused right they would come into their meetings they talk about the tasks that need to be done everyone would tick off their tasks and go back to their desks and he's like okay it was great that we're getting stuff done but Nobody talked about outcomes. What were the changes in behavior that we were looking for? Were customers buying more of our services? Were they happier with our services? Were they increasing the amount of money they'd invest with the company? You know, and he shared that with his leadership team in a retrospective, but he didn't stop there. He went back to his desk and then sent an email to 50,000 people in the company that said, hey, you know, we're trying to get greater business agility in the company. Um, one of the re- I just did my first retrospective, and one of the reflections I had was actually we're really output oriented, not outcome focused. And if we're going to get good at this, we're going to focus on outcomes and then try things to get there. And literally, I was walking down the corridors after he sent that email in the company, and people were sort of in shock. They were like, "Did you just see the email that he sent out about, um, you know, that he was struggling?" going through this process and he had to recognize how he had to change and it just started this amazing sort of conversation in the company that it was okay to struggle it's okay to find it hard but everybody was trying to go on a better trajectory and i think that is um that's inspiration right that's the kind of leader 
people uh, gravitate towards now the ones who are open honest authentic transparent themselves all of these aspects i think are are what makes great companies i think when you have someone who knows it all thinks they have know all the answers uh, they're the best at everything you know it's just it's a total turnoff for folks now you know and uh, i think those are the companies that are are thriving and actually bringing talent to them rather than talent walking out the door and it's interesting because it's, uh, in my view uh, when i talk with ceos these kind of ceos have the ability to make it psychological safe to fail as well and because they are very honest about their own mistake and know they need to make failures mistakes learnings whatever you call them a number of time to get the 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 outcome not the outputs they want absolutely yeah and you know and it's really important though to recognize like psychological safe companies doesn't mean everyone's just nice to one another they actually have difficult conversations in the open that you get uh, people are rather than nice they're sort of kind they tell you uh, harsh things because they want you to get better they tell you that your report wasn't up to standard be and and ways that it could be improved for next time because they want you to get better right and it's you don't feel judged you don't feel beat up you feel grateful you're like thanks for telling me that i i'll do that next time i'll get better you know and that's what great psychological safe organizations are it's not that people just say you're brilliant you're nice so it's okay you made a mistake you know you get some real tough critical feedback at times but it's feedback to make you better and it's not judging you and it's not making you feel small it's actually making you feel stronger better and i think that's one of the really important things about high performance companies is that it's often less about the individual it's about what did we learn from this and how do we go forward and bake that into the next iteration and make it better and i think this is one of the things we see in the studio all the time right is people are afraid to get things wrong or they're afraid, like they're not if they're afraid to show how their product is working for me that means they don't feel safe it means that there's fear and what we are constantly trying to do is like suck fear out of the founders fuck it like suck it out of the teams to say share what you've got with our crowd yeah you're going to get some tough feedback but it will make you better so don't fear the feedback actually seek it out and listen to it and try and synthesize it and then try and feed it forward to your next iteration of your company and again those are the companies that do the best is that they uh, are open and they try and they put their stuff out there they don't necessarily feel personally judged it's the product being critiqued so let's make the product better not the person and i think it's a hard separation for many people to get but if you get it you know the path to sort of um all the th- the dreams that you're hoping for i think is there for you yeah and i guess also some of the most uh, you know well known entrepreneurs it's well known that you you often just hear about their breakthroughs but there was lots of you know very hard feedback and you know tough times that went before that breakthrough came and they just learned from it and moved on it was like you know they ate it for breakfast in the end and it doesn't mean you just accept it you know from day one this is easy it's it's not easy it's like you just have to learn to 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 deal with it it's not personal it's uh, it's for you to take to make make yourself better as you say yeah well i can can i live this every day in in the startup world right um startups are very very hard 
you know, like every day you come into some fire that you thought you put out reigniting or a new one starting uh, two, two doors down, right? And it's a grind. It really is. And I think if you start to take it personally, that inhibits your judgment. It inhibits your ability to keep making progress and, and pushing through, right? You have to see these things as, right, well, what, what was the mistake? What did we learn? How do we improve it for next time? How do we mitigate that issue? And then just keep making progress. And, you know, when you can create the type of teams and people who think like that and, and approach problems like that, you know, that's how you build momentum and make these companies successful. But if you get start making it personal, uh, start sort of uh, holding on to the anger within yourself, then you're just really going to struggle, you know, and people you're to your point, like people do just often see the results. They don't understand the process that people have to go through to get there. Um, you know, and in many ways, like the media sort of turns up the the results, you know, look at this billionaire or here's another company that just um, became a unicorn. And, you know, for me, a lot of that's BS, to be honest. You know, I think it's it's really understanding that uh, every day is a challenge as an entrepreneur, uh, tackling them, your your grit to just keep going, be persistent, consistency to keep trying to get better. That's what a lot of it's about. And I think... Um, you know, the way that I help sort of devolve that is I, I don't make it personal. I think about the product that we want to make better and the process to make the product we want to get better. And then people is really about how do I help them constantly improve and, and not necessarily let them feel judged or unable to speak up when there are problems. I think uh, they're the things I really think a lot about. Is there like a, a system, a roadmap? that leaders could follow. And I know you describe a, a loop in, 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 your, in your book about some phases you need to go through in every time you unlearn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the way I thought about unlearning is there's sort of three steps to it. First of all, you have to identify or diagnose where you need to unlearn. Um, and I ask people questions how to do that all the time, right? The questions I help them to self-diagnose is, you know, where are you not living up to the expectations you have for yourself? Uh, situations where you're not achieving the outcomes you're aiming for, uh, situations you're struggling with or avoiding altogether. You know, <clears throat> they're all signals that your existing behavior and thinking is probably limiting your success, right? You're not getting a breakthrough. So if you can sort of diagnose those areas, then it that gives you the obstacle you're facing. And then once you know those obstacles, it's really about reframing it about, well, what outcome am I really trying to achieve? Right? I'll give you an example with me. Uh, when I was writing the book, you know, I, I, was, I thought uh, to be a writer, you sort of have to sit at your desk in a purple velvet jacket with a bottle of red wine, a roaring fire, and just sat there and like wrote for hours. I thought that's what writers did. Um, and I tried to do that, and it just didn't work for me. You know, like I was frustrated. I was fed up. I... I tried every writing system you can think of, like doing 300 words a day or waking up early or staying up late or like I, I did it all. You name it, I tried it and still wasn't getting any breakthroughs. Um, so, you know, I, I, that's when I asked myself these questions, I was like, this isn't working for me. I need to unlearn. Um, and but the obstacle for me was this idea of writing. Um, I can't write. I'm not a writer. I, never, I can't type, whatever. But when I thought about, well, what's the real outcome I'm trying to get here? It wasn't necessarily to be a typer. It was actually to create content. I wanted to create content. Um, and there's many ways to create content. 
you can make podcasts, you can make videos, you can talk about, people can interview you. There's there's all these different ways. And what I realized was actually by reframing what I, what success was for me, it was not writing a book, it was actually creating content. Then that gave me lots of different ways to start thinking about, well, how could I relearn creating content? Um, and then that opened up a whole path of avenues from not just writing to speaking to talking to interviews to so what i ended up doing then uh, to create uh, on learn is that talking was actually much more natural to me my my voice sound like when people read the book now people who know me are like barry i feel like i'm listening to you uh, talk this cuz guess what i did that's what i did i talked it and and the journalist interviewed me and what we would do is he would interview me on a chapter and we would, you know, I'd bullet out point a few points I wanted to make. He'd interview me. I'd tell some stories and we'd, we'd transcribe it with an AI transcription service. So uh, he would then get this transcript and uh, do his editing magic on it and then send me this sort of first version of the chapter, like an MVP of the chapter. And then I could look at it and react and go, oh, I forgot, forgot this story and this should actually be above that. And we were in this iteration mode. And then suddenly I was like creating all these chapters in like light speed. Um, so that was sort of a big breakthrough for me. And that's sort of the, the system that I described to leaders. It's diagnosing where you need to unlearn, reframing it as an, a sort of outcome that you're aiming for, or I call an unlearning statement, it's like a goal. And then relearning is about trying sort of new or uncomfortable or non-obvious behaviors to try and move towards the, the sort of objectives that you set for yourself. Um, and then hopefully as you try and test with those new behaviors, you get a breakthrough, but you certainly learn what might work and might work for you. And then this pattern is that if you learn how to do it once, it's not sort of one and done. It's, it's a system that you can use continuously to adapt your behavior to changing circumstances or moments where you're struggling. And, you know, I constantly use this uh, myself as I'm learning how to lead in a different way or trying new technologies or different products and trying to build. And, um, it's been a great accelerator for me. And, you know, obviously the book is packed with uh, different people I've worked with from, you know, um, everyone from NASA to, um, Amazon to, you know, you, you name it. I've sort of been across the remit of today. I work with companies like Spotify and Slack, American airlines and, all these different global brands about how they can adapt their behavior and have had fantastic results. That's super interesting, Barry, also that you used a personal example, because as you said that, I can see now because I listen to your podcast as well. And it is like you, you write in a very direct way. It doesn't feel, it feels very easy to consume, but doesn't mean that the, the, the content is not very high quality. And, uh, and you could ask yourself when, you get a business book do the world need a, a a new business book but this is a very different business book i would say again like it's it's one of one of the the best as i said i've, I've been reading and as i said to you before before the interview it's not because i'm interviewing exactly because i genuinely mean it i definitely recommend everybody in uh, on the podcast to uh to to get a, a copy of that and we'll put it in the in the in the uh, show notes as well um uh as i was reading your book I was thinking, actually, what you talk a lot about with the unlearner, maybe you're going to say, no, that's not what I mean, Michael. But it's almost like, how do you actually unleash people and their talent? Because we all know, we can just look at Gallup. There's a lot of people that doesn't get their 
talents or their engagement or the energy release when they go to work. They almost like a bit like just go and do the things to get the paycheck. Um, so how does company unblock all that? And can they use unlearn, the unlearn formula to do that? Yeah, you know, and, and I, it's a great question, you know, and I'm thinking about this a lot at the moment, especially in the studio, right? It's like, how do you get people's minds and hearts involved in work, right? Because people will give you their time for money. That's called being an employee. But how do you get people to give you their time, their mind and their heart and all their energy? Right? All the, and in a way, we might call that their creativity. Like, how do you get people to do that? Because they're, they feel like they're part of something so compelling where they have agency to act. Right. And when I think about when people don't do that, is it's when they feel like they're in these sort of draconian command and control sort of uh, world where they don't feel like they have any agency. They feel like anything that they bring is shut down or their their scope of ideas or work is very narrow. They're they're told what tasks need to be completed and they're handed out and measured on have you done your task or not. You know, and that's when people flip from giving you their hearts and minds to just getting the task and time done. And so I think as a leader, you know, I'm personally trying to work really hard to make sure I'm constantly giving people more context about what success is and why it matters. Right. So when we're building a wellness company, like what's success about helping people with uh, depression or mental anxieties or why are these, you know, people when they end up in rehab, it has a two or three percent success rate. I'd say if I was running rehabs and I only had a one or two percent success rate, like that business wouldn't stay open very long if it was like an e-commerce business. So why are we having these measures of success and still sticking with the same sort of routines and behaviors with people? Right. Like how how do we change that dynamic? You know, and and I and. So that's how I would talk to people about success for one of our companies like prehab, right? Where we're thinking like, rather than people going to rehab, how can we make sure they never get to rehab? They almost are prehab, right? That it's a, it's, it's before when they have the dips, you catch them and help them earlier in the journey, rather than it becomes a, a sort of vicious cycle that drives them to rehab. You know, so when I talk to people about why we're doing this and success currently is two or three percent in rehab and we could do better. That's the context I want to set for them. Now, how do you think, you know, that's that's why and what success is. How do you think we could do it? You know, when you ask people those sorts of questions, then their brains light up, right? They start going, wow, like there's I've loads of ideas, right? You probably have a few ideas bubbling into your own mind now. I'm sure listeners do. If you do, please tweet me at barryoreilly.com. I'm always interested, right? Uh, but it's a, like it's a different type of mind than when I say, hey, Michael, you need to build this feature on a mobile app, uh, which is about sending messages to people. And it needs to be done by Friday at 5 p.m. And make sure it's done. Right, like straight away, people are just like, the energy out of them just goes, you know, and you're just like ticking off tasks, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm getting paid to do this. And so I'll just get it done. And 
right? The, all the creativity and the energy just sort of disappears. Where when you give people context about why you're doing something and what success could be and then ask them to volunteer their ideas. Well, you know, sure, we get five ideas. We could, could be messaging. It could be phone calls. It could be whatever. And as a team, we debate them and we pick one. You know, even though the ideas you might have volunteered weren't picked, you feel heard and you feel like maybe we'll do something with them. So you're committed to the path that was chosen. And I think that's one of the things, you know, I'm constantly thinking about as a leader of a venture studio who's trying to build 100 companies, right? There's so many entrepreneurs like that, that uh, people, I've got ideas. How can, can we build this? Or they're looking for funding or they're looking for a place to bring their ideas to life. And right, it's, it's great. It's great that there's energy and enthusiasm there. And, you know, you want to harness that in a directed way. And I think that's one of the subtleties I think that um, a lot of leaders get stuck on. And it's certainly one of the things I'm constantly trying to practice uh, to help get the most out of the people, you know, smart people that you spend a lot of time trying to find and hire. I think that's really, really important. You talked a bit about that. We are in some degree sometimes stuck in the old paradigm of the industrial revolution about command and control, the pyramid, the Christmas tree, that we need to burn down in principle to actually unleash people's uh, talent. Do you think it's uh, it's habit that does we we not are moving faster for that? And that goes across many industries, I guess. Uh, but you see some of the most progressive company. You mentioned Spotify. I know they have a very you know uh, low level of control and command and you know layers of management and so on. They work on a very do you call a teal organization in a very technical language, but actually a more human way of of collaborating. It's more like a community, as you mentioned in the beginning. Do you think we're stuck to stuck so much in the past we can't move sometimes? Yeah, like I think, you know, one, one of the things we've seen in high performance technology companies and, you know, from Amazon to, you know, to Spotify to whoever you may choose is they talk about these more small cross-functional multidisciplinary teams, right, that are assigned problems to uh, tackle and outcomes to be achieved. You know, and this goes back actually even to the military, you know, the early days of the military The Prussians actually, uh, or Napoleon was the first person who sort of innovated this notion in the military where at the time armies were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There was these huge like monolithic armies. And he came up with this notion of maneuver warfare where you would have smaller um, groups of people that would operate autonomously around the battlefield, but they were very clear on the outcome to be achieved, like to take the hill. Everyone knew we have to take the hill, but the decision-making was pushed down to these smaller autonomous units. And, you know, Napoleon did pretty well until he made that fatal mistake that everyone does is try to take Russia in the winter, right? So uh, that's a sort of, uh, you know, the classic uh, joke there. But, um, you know, the you see this now, Amazon, they call it two pizza teams, where teams aren't bigger than that that can be fed by two pizzas. And they're assigned, you know, problems that they own and outcomes to be achieved. If you go onto the Amazon webpage, there's like 46 different teams that own the homepage from the recommendations engine to wish list to search to, right? They all own these different components of the page and outcomes that they're operating and trying to drive. Uh, Spotify similarly have smaller cross-functional teams, as you mentioned, and so, so this is sort of like the world we're in. It's actually what you want to, rather than how you can still have big companies, 
but it's more of a community to your point where there is a direction the community is trying to go. And then there's these smaller groups that are focused on specific challenges or problems, and they're responsible for decisions of solving them, right? Same in our studio, right? The studio has ambitions to, you know, launch a hundred companies in five years, have a billion people use our products. But we also, each team in the studio, our startup in the studio is its own little autonomous unit, right? And they've got their outcomes that they're driving one of the things we're building at the moment is this sort of on-demand events platform where anyone who's like running a meeting, you know, can with a, take out their credit card and book, you know, everyone, anyone from Magic Johnson to, uh, you know, Shakira to all these famous people in moments, right? And get them come into their studio, into their, mo- their uh, meeting and just like, you know, bring some energy for a few minutes and then they disappear. So anyone could be an events manager, basically. And, um, you know, like they have different outcomes that they're trying to drive, but they're part of the Nobody Studios community. They're nobodies, but they're also this events platform. And, you know, it, 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 these things are sort of really important, I'm finding, especially as you're trying to do complex, fast-moving, innovative work, is that you need to let people closest to the problems have a lot of decision-making authority. And really, leadership's role is about setting direction, uh, coaching, mentoring, advising, and removing the blockers. And I think um, that's what I'm just seeing again and again. And again, we need to unlearn this motion of, you say, the Christmas tree or this sort of trickle down type management is, yeah, yeah, you want leaders setting direction, inspiring, motivating people. But um, you don't need to tell them every single specific thing about how to do their job. Because uh, the moment you start doing that, uh, people just start tuning out, you know, and um, I think that's sort of one of the things to watch out for in the companies that you're either in or you want to avoid. Is there, you know, you talked about pioneers already, you mentioned Amazon, Spotify. Uh, Is there any hospitality companies you've noticed has made this move uh, from, you know, the more traditional way of doing it in, in this kind of ecosystem community way? Yeah, well, I think there's, you know, you, you, the, especially here in the U S um, I think there's a huge sort of movement here around ready-made meals, right? Like people uh, want meal plans or they want meal plan delivery service um, is huge. And it's actually been massive, even accelerated, I've noticed through the pandemic because people didn't want to leave their homes. So, you know, I've actually, it's a really interesting trend just to see these things start to emerge and uh, how people are doing something uh, differently. Uh, one company that I've in, recently been introduced to is a company called Icon's Meals, and their founder Todd Abraham's really interesting guy. He his previous job he was actually working in infrastructure cloud services, like literally like building out server data uh, warehouses for uh, these massive companies, and um, he, like they worked with WordPress, who were probably you know the largest sort of um, e-commerce uh, off the shelf web web. Uh, this web page and website design company in, in the world. Um, and now he's in, and now they're doing meals, you know, and it's um, really fascinating to me where you've got these entrepreneurs that are taking a lot of their lessons that they learned in cloud computing and then starting to think about, well, how can they build these sort of uh, systems to help improve people's health? That's actually the question they started with. And rather than building like devices to teach people uh, to monitor their behaviors, their heart rate, whatever, they said, well, 
why don't we try and affect what the input mechanism is for people, like what they eat? So can we actually create better input mechanisms? And this is really funny, like to hear him talk about it, about helping people understand to manage. If you put good things into the system, um, the system will actually get more um, the vitamins, balanced diet, the things that it needs to make the system perform better. And um, it was just really fascinating for me to listen to him talk about that, where the construction of their meal plans is, is actually designed to improve the input that goes into the person. So they have like a better energy, better balanced diet, better, um, you know, sort of vitamins and minerals or whatever they might need to survive. And so for me, that's kind of a really quite an innovative approach to think about um, you know, hospitality or, or serving meals. They're not thinking like, oh, do you like chicken or do you like uh, fish or do you not eat meat at all? They're thinking of it like the science of uh, improving your health through helping you design the right inputs to go into your body uh, so you can get the outcomes that you're actually aiming for. So I just thought that was a fascinating way to look at um a more technology sort of, you know, coming from this cloud computing world where they're thinking about optimizing servers and how many servers you should have in your data room. And now they're applying some of this thinking to, you know, your diet and your health and the food that you put into your body and what what pops out the other side and uh, the effect it has. So, yeah, that was just one sort of interesting uh, company that stood out to me. So, yeah, Icon Meals, you should check out. They've Got some big announcements coming up. I think people will be seeing what they're doing. It's kind of fascinating. I think it's the fascinating thing here is the question they ask themselves. It's not we're not in the business of making profit or serving food. We're in the business of actually improving or making a positive impact on people, community, and the planet. And I think I say that a lot to people I work with as well. Like you know, yeah, profit uh, should be there because that drives the the impact we're going to make. But what impact are we going to make on the these three? pillars you know people community and the planet before we we have to run barry because there's so much we we can discover and i want to ask you this question i always end the conversation with that if you uh take the unlearn uh platform and say what is your like your top three advice to leaders and we can maybe we could take the the hospitality angle i know you're not a hospitality expert but like anyone else you're probably eating in restaurants and observe what happened in the, the industry the last year. What will your top three advice be to leaders out there? Yeah, well, I, I, you sort of alluded a bit to it, right? Like it's trying to reframe like what's the outcomes you're really aiming for with your restaurant, with your business. You know, you're not necessarily there to serve food, right? I think it's sort of an experience and especially with what people are looking for now, having been sort of locked up in their homes for the last two years. Um, it's such a great experience to go uh, to a restaurant, to an event, to a, you know, and how can you make people feel, um, you know, like that, what they've missed, you know, in a way, like make make them feel uh, fulfilled again about the excitement of going, uh, going somewhere where there are people, where they can feel safe, yet relaxed and enjoy themselves and um, I think it's a it's a great way to try and start designing an experience from there. You know, one of the the best things for me of the pandemic through such a difficult situation that it has been is here in San Francisco, all the restaurants started creating these like 
um, like little tables outside, they were allowed to take over a portion of the road, what, what previously would have been like car parking space. And they've all turned them into these sort of patios and verandas where, you know, these, and they're all self-contained little booths. So now you can go to these uh, restaurants and sort of sit outside in these sort of like little sort of patio verandas and eat your meal with your friends and you're sort of self-contained and it's fun and special. And, you know, that's that was like one of the best innovations for me of the whole pandemic from the hospitality space, because people thought about, well, the experience people want to have is go and have like, you know, break bread together, enjoy, enjoy meals and company in a, in a, an environment that they feel safe in, which is these small little booths. And, um, but they can still have the experience of eating great food, good company. And it was sort of a bit different. And I just, you know, most of those, those boots probably cost a couple of hundred bucks to get put together, but, um, they just have created a great community feel then because now you walk down some of these streets that used to be just lined with restaurants and cars, and now they're lined with restaurants and all these like little patio things outside. And I just love it. So there you go. That's, that, that's probably maybe one thing that stood out for me. If people want to learn more about you, Barry, and the work you do in, in the studio and your, your speaking and podcast, where, where did, should they go? Where's the best place to find you? Yeah, so I, I, if you're interested about what we're doing at Nobody Studios, like please go check us out at nobodystudios.com. And we're pretty much Nobody Studios on every single platform from Twitter to Instagram and, and LinkedIn. And personally, I also have my own blog, barryoreilly.com. And on there, you'll be able to follow my own podcast. It's actually called Unlearn. Uh, look at some of the books from Unlearn and Lean Enterprise and I generally try to blog, you know, once every month is sort of the goal I set myself is to share one story. So you can just sign up to my newsletter there and uh, be kept up to date with um, uh, me sharing really the things I've learned along the way and mistakes I've made. And hopefully, you know, I always say if I make the mistakes, hopefully you can make better ones and then and share them back with me. So I always appreciate that. Great. Thank you so much, Barry, for coming on the show and uh, spending your time and giving your wisdom and insights today. I send you uh, power and energy to you, uh, the team at uh, Nobody Studio. Thanks very much, Michael. Appreciate the show and, and being invited to be on it. Very kind. Thank you so much, Barry, for your amazing insights on how we all can unlearn and achieve better results as individuals and teams. I would recommend you sit down with pen and paper and ask yourself, Am I stuck in old ways that no longer serves me? And if yes, how can I unlearn these to achieve better results? To get further inspiration on how to change your thinking and mindset and thereby unleashing your potential, please tune in to episode 95 with Ali Gordon, who is coach and mentor. And we talk about your belief system in that conversation. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights and strategies and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at BizSimply.com or via their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly on advice at BizSimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlton, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us or subscribe to our newsletter and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. 
Maverick. <laughs>